This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. Active Skin Repair uses a molecule called hypochlorous acid, which mimics our natural immune response to cleanse, soothe irritation, reduce inflammation, and support healing. We've been loving Active Skin Repair for all the cuts and scrapes that show up in the active toddler life. Sage loves that there's both the spray version, but also a cream version. He likes to get to choose which one he's going to do. He calls it the magic cream. And it's been so great for taking care of Mila's neck rash now that she's full on teething. Can we get a minute for a teething three and a half month old? What in the world? Active Skin Repair has thousands of five-star reviews and the ingredients so safe and clean, they can be used from the youngest member of the family to the oldest. Keeping it simple with one soothing solution for all your family's skin health needs. Visit www.activeskinrepair.com to learn more about Active Skin Repair and to get 20% off your order, use code VILLAGE. That's www.activeskinrepair.com, code VILLAGE, for 20% off your order. You're listening to Voices of Your Village. This is episode 181. I got to hang out with Steve Disselhorst to talk about diversity and inclusion in kids' schools. Steve has done work around diversity and inclusion for years and was such a joy to hang out with. He is a dad to two tiny humans and has shared in this interview with me what he has done to support his kiddos' schools with diversifying their bookshelves or making sure that their curriculum is inclusive. Uh, There are so many little gems in here and so much that you can bring to your kiddos' school so that we're making sure that their education and what they're exposed to at school is inclusive of all folks. It was so fun to hang out with Steve, and I'm so jazzed to share this interview with you so that you can go into the new school year with tools in your toolbox. All right, folks, let's dive in. Welcome to Voices of Your Village, a place where parents, caregivers, teachers, and experts come to support one another on this wild ride of raising tiny humans. We combine decades of experience with the latest research to create the modern parenting village. Let's dive into honest conversation about real parenting challenges so it doesn't have to be this hard. I'm your host, Alyssa Blass Campbell. Hey everyone, welcome back to Voices of Your Village. Today I get to hang out with Steve Disselhorst and we're going to chat about cultivating a culture of inclusivity at your child's school. Hey Steve, how you doing? I'm great. Thank you for having me today. Excited to be here. Yeah, I'm just good to hang with you. Can you share with our village a bit about like your background and kind of what brought you to this work? Yeah, so um, I'm a gay dad. I have two adopted children, uh, five, and my daughter will be nine in April. And so um, we are a multiracial family, and um, our children have many differences. So um, they have two dads. They are um, ethnically, they're different. uh, 
and we have a lot of differences. And so for our children and how they show up in school, we would like to support them and their efforts to make sure that their differences aren't seen in a negative light and they're really seen in a positive light. And so um, that, that's, that's how I've come to the work. Yeah, that's awesome and so important. My husband, when he was in elementary school, six, seven years old, his mom and dad got divorced and his mom remarried a woman. And so he was navigating this as really one of the only kids in his school that he knew that had two moms. And so I've just seen, I mean, also decades ago now, but I've seen like a little bit of what that journey was like for him. And I think your work is so vital in making sure that there isn't a centered culture in whatever that is. Um, And that there isn't a, this is the norm and these are the others. So thanks. Definitely. For sure. So when like entering into school, your daughter is your oldest. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Entering into school with your daughter, what was your experience personally in like navigating the culture at your, at her school as a queer parent? Yeah. So a great question. I think, um, our, our, both of our kids were in um, daycare prior to joining uh, to going to school. And so we started to see, uh, so the daycare my daughter was in was at the company I worked at. I was very fortunate to work at a company that actually had an on-site daycare yeah. um, that was uh, managed by Bright Horizons. And so it was, it was a great daycare, but we started to see pretty early on that, you know, um, the daycare was set up in a really heter- heteronormative way and that there was a lot of focus around, you know, uh, uh, heterosexual couples and a lot of the education and schooling was in that way. And it was, it, it was not discriminatory, but it wasn't mindful of difference. And so we started to see that pretty early on. We had a couple of sort of things that popped up in her daycare that were concerning. And so we, um, you know, I started to lead an effort to educate that specific daycare site, which had a large number of kids. I think they had about 750 kids there. And so I started to lead an effort with the leadership at that daycare um, to really help educate them on uh, families of difference. And then uh, the the site sort of site manager who is part of Bright, Bright Horizons and the larger organization started to kind of carry that work out to, to a, for, for a regional perspective. Um, so that was the first introduction. So I had a, had an idea of what we were going into, but what, what was funny was that I sort of, because of the efforts at the daycare got sort of lulled into complacency because they were very interested in supporting the kids. And we did a number of things at the daycare to make the kids feel and our family feel included. And then when my daughter started um, kindergarten, I didn't really make any, you know, I was, we were up front when we, we spoke with her kindergarten teacher that we were a same-sex family and, but we didn't go beyond that. And then um, at the end of, you know, her first year in kindergarten um, came Mother's Day and Mother's Day in our house is, is, uh, is a challenging day for, for, for our daughter. And in preschool and in kindergarten, Mother's Day starts about three weeks before because there's a lot of prep. There's a lot of um, decorating and cards and which is, you know, wonderful. I believe in uh, supporting and celebrating mothers, but at the same time for our family uh, with two dads, 
it, it's a challenging time. It brings up a lot of questions for our daughter. And so I saw that and I was like, oh my God, I forgot. We went through this before, you know, at, at the preschool, we went through this. And so, uh, so then I came up with a plan sort of to move forward with, uh, with a broader plan across the school. Yeah. Can we chat about that real quick? Of course. What, like, what is, I was just having this conversation. One of my best friends here is non-binary and is a parent. And we were chatting about like Mother's and Father's Day. And they were like, yeah, I don't know what the solution is, but I don't feel like I fit into either of them. And uh, so we were brainstorming, like, what can this look like as we're moving forward with inclusivity? What did you guys navigate with Mother's Day? Like, what kind? I guess I'm curious from the teacher perspective, what was the approach? Yeah, so it's, it's a great question. I think the irony of the timing of Mother's Day and Father's Day, Mother's Day happens during the school years, Father's Day mm. happens in many cases during the summer. So, so while we, you know, during the summer, we would be by ourselves as a family. So the way we navigated this was really after the kindergarten where we had kind of forgotten when we started uh when our daughter started first grade we we spent a fair we actually set up a you know a parent teacher conference in advance of her starting first grade and we're very you know explicit around um you know our family is different and we want to ensure that our daughter uh feels included and with that we would like to um provide you with some ideas around books that you may be able to include. And, and they were very open to it. And so we actually, every year as a part of our, you know, donation to the school, we, we donate to the library and we give them a list of recommended books. Um, and then often we'll do is buy books for each classroom that are um, inclusive of queer families. And within those books, there are, um, you know, uh, non-binary and also, um, uh, young children that are transitioning. We know that uh, also the work that I'm doing now is also is for my family, but it's more inclusive of the broader community because we are seeing children transition at a much earlier age. And we're also seeing kids come out at a much earlier age. So the work that we need to do is really start very young in creating a safe space for kids to come out. And so families like ours, where our kids are different, but also for the children that are in the schools that start to identify themselves as different uh, early on creating that space. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Being back to work after maternity leave has been so good and frankly, so hard. I love what I do and I missed collaborating with my team while I was out and it's been a tough transition. The combination of a packed schedule and still being the milk machine for Mila Bean, it's hard to juggle everything. I feel so grateful for my weekly therapy hour. Sometimes I'm just holding so much and I need a safe space to let it out and get it off my chest. I've noticed that when I don't release it, it comes out anyway, but usually in ways that aren't aligned with how I want to show up in the world. BetterHelp is such a convenient, flexible option for parents who just can't take the travel time to get to an in-person therapy visit. It's entirely online. You can show up in your jammies, always a win in my book, and you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and you're on your way to feeling heard. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash voices today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash voices. 
If you're a parent, I invite you to join us at the Mindful Mama podcast, where it's all about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent with sometimes hilarious and always thought-provoking experts and friends. At Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm Hunter Clark Fields, and I can't wait to see you there. Listen in to the Mindful Mama podcast. Yeah, that's rad. I'm here for that for sure. So books are an awesome tool for this. And I'm wondering like with, I think so much of this is it's, it's our like subconscious programming and we're not mindful of it so often, right? That like, but yeah, we just celebrate mother's day and school. I taught in early childhood for a long time. And so many of those things, I think were just like, that's just what you did. And without questioning, like, what are these patterns? What are these habits that we're navigating? What are we promoting or I guess celebrating and then not celebrating bringing awareness to that I I think is such a huge first step when so many of us are operating from this autopilot of whatever our cultural context was. Yes. So when you were chatting about like, what's the plan for Mother's Day? What did you like do like a caregiver's day? Like how did y'all navigate that with the school? You know, it's a great question. We didn't, we didn't, uh, we didn't try to change the tradition. I I mean, Uh I, you know, it's funny, I was on a, another interviewed on this topic. Uh, and, you know, I have a mother, my daughter has a mother, you know, women bring children into the world. In my view, it's important that we honor and celebrate them. So I am supportive of Mother's Day. It was really what we did was really around creating an inclusive platform for cool. um when Mother's Day is celebrated, creating a, a, a platform. And what, what I mean by that is just as the kids are doing exercises around creating cards and gifts, that it'd be inclusive of whoever is the parent, whether it's another dad or it's a grandmother mm-hmm. or it's an aunt or uncle, because we know many families are, are different, right? Um, mm-hmm. And that kids are raised by a number of different people. So we we really focused on how do we create an inclusive environment so the kids could um, celebrate who the person they would consider is, is, you know, that, that maternal figure for them. Yeah, that's awesome. I dig that. I think it's a nice way then to also be able to include folks like birth moms and it's adoptive exa- moms and foster moms. And yeah, it's exactly right. It's exact. And so our daughter has a relationship with her birth mom. And so we are, um, during that time, she, both of our children, uh, are, are adopted and they we know where their birth mothers are so we do celebrate them and we we celebrate them every day in our lives we talk about them every day in our lives so because they brought us they brought them into our family so we definitely talk about them and for mother's day you know we'll we'll make cards for them in advance and we'll send you know pictures of them and where they're at and so yeah so it's important that we do celebrate that Yeah, I love that. I think that's healthy for development. We have a whole series. We interviewed an adoptive parent, a birth mom, and a foster parent, and an adoptee, and like looked at like a whole, it was a four-part series on like different points of view of this, and I learned a lot. I learned a lot. So were there, when you're looking at like 
potential areas of growth overall from your experience with both kiddos now navigating childcare and then in school, you know, you noted books and then like cultural traditions. Are there other things that you're like, Hey, if you wanted to be an advocate in your child's school, like here are things that we commonly see that you can kickstart with beyond those. Yeah. So I think one of the big things that we, we, we've done is that um, most kids that are in preschool as well as in you know, kindergarten and even first grade, I think they stop it around second grade, but they have family of the week, right? Mm -hmm. So they celebrate, you know, the family, each kid gets to celebrate their family and they do during circle time, they sit down and they talk about their family. And so one of the things that I always do is I'll talk to the teacher in advance and I will talk to them about how she she or he is going to talk about their family and what i ask the teacher to do is i ask the teacher to be the one to talk about families that are different mm -hmm. so it's very important that the 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 leadership and in the classroom the leadership is the teacher that the teacher normalizes the family and it takes away any type of burden from the child to be the one that's actually you know, normalizing. So during that week or the week before, we ask that the teacher will do some of the books that we potentially brought in to start reading about different families so that when our kiddos are going up and talking about their families, they've already had, the kids in the classroom have already heard about families that have, you know, two dads or two moms or grandma raising them. And so that when she gets up and talks about her family, it's like, oh, we heard about that. Oh, this is so cool, right? Like, so that's one of the big things. And so it's interesting because each teacher is in a different place, right? And mm -hmm. so um, the approach that I've taken is I, I've taken the approach of starting at the teacher level and then going up to the principal level. And then we've actually, I've actually um, gone up to the superintendent level overall because my goal is, you know, protect and you know, serve my family, but I'm not the only family. And so I'm sitting there thinking about where can we have the larger impact? And also it's just, you know, how do we get all the teachers thinking about this? Right. And so, so that's sort of the approach that, um, that we've used. And, um, you know, it's been, I would say it's been pretty effective. Folks want to do the right thing that are, I mean, what I've seen in education is, people want to do the right thing. And so, you know, they may have blind spots, but they're pretty open when they're, you know, they don't feel threatened, right? They're pretty mm -hmm. open to, to new ideas. So yeah, it's been great. And, and the superintendent of our daughters uh, and, and our son's um, public school, you know, uh, she is a woman of color, uh, African-American superintendent, amazing woman. And so I brought in, um, you know, how can we create a LGBTQ uh, inclusive curriculum and then she's talking about a bigger equity piece and yeah. so then it was like how do we move this up and create this umbrella for all people and so we actually started to work together then on sort of what does that look like and she's been doing they've been doing for me since the kids are home now i've had to take a little step back from being so engaged on it but they have continued forward on their their equity policy for the district so it's that's it's dreamy great. Yeah. That's so nice. Um, have you found folks along this journey in advocating for your kids and for inclusivity across the board who weren't receptive, who were like, mm, this doesn't feel comfortable for me? Again, coming from that place of like, 
we all have our own social programming and biases that we're coming to the table with. And I mean, I just feel like you're in such a tough spot of like carrying the burden of inclusivity with you as well. And yeah, I, I, it's so hard to do bias work. (laughs) And like, so I think walking in and saying like, I'm going to support you through bias work is really challenging to do. Have you had to navigate that at all? I would say, so, you know, we live in a bubble, right? So we live in the Mm -hmm. Bay area. We don't live in San Francisco. We live in the suburbs and in the suburbs we live in where the, where my kids go to school, the school's got like probably 600 kids. We're one of the only LGBTQ families in that school. So there is definitely um, uh, a cultural barrier, but being in the Bay Area, um, we don't face a lot of resistance when we bring forward. It's mostly that people are like, I hadn't thought about that, right? Yeah. And they're, they're, in most cases, pretty receptive. With one teacher, I they would never, ever... Uh, be explicit um, about, but I, 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 there was some, there was a wall and I couldn't quite, I couldn't quite figure out if it was a personality thing or if it was this, you know, queer family thing. I, and I never really put my thumb on it to be, to be, to be honest, but she would agree to do, you know, the things that we asked. But in general, folks have been incredibly gracious and willing to try to do the work. That's awesome. That's so rad. I I think, yeah, I think across the board in education and maybe again, it's because I live in a bubble here too, um, in Burlington, Vermont. And, but that in my experience, yeah, it has been mostly folks being like, oh yeah, this just is new to me, but I'm down. I'm down to explore it. In, in California, we actually, they, they, they passed a, a, a law, it's called the Fair Education Act, and it it's, uh, stands for Fair, Accu- uh, Accurate, Inclusive, and Respectful, and it's really to bring in LGBTQ um, history into cool. the classroom, um, and really starting at an early age. So there is a law in place, and so when you go in and you, if you do, uh, get resistance. There is a law on the books in California. Now, while it isn't funded by the state department of education, there isn't funding around it. That's where we oftentimes will get the resistance is that there's not funding to implement, but, um, because of California's law, what, what we've seen is that actually, um, the two largest textbook markets in the U S are California and Texas. Okay. And so the textbooks, are being adapted for the nation based on these two states. And California is very progressive. And we know in Texas, we, there are obviously progressive pockets, but from a state perspective, mm-hmm. so the, the, these textbook companies have had to face this dilemma around Texas was pushing back Board of Education on LGBT inclusive history and California was all in. And so you'll start to see these books are going to trickle across because they, they write these books for, you know, publication across the, the nation. So we'll start to see more of those books come into the classroom. And so, you know, teachers can then in, you know, various different places gloss over them, right? And we all have a choice of how we want to do our curriculum in the classroom, but they will be there. So that's, that's awesome. Yeah. Oh, it's so interesting to also just look at that dichotomy of the politics between the two states. Yes. You know, like yeah. wild that it's Texas and California. <laughs> it's 
two opposite ends of the spectrum there. Um, oh, that's so interesting. Also really cool. California, man, I feel so much love for California in so many ways. I have shared about this on here before, but Dr. Nadine Burke Harris, your surgeon general is like one of my favorite humans and one of my dream guests, uh, her focus on ACEs and work around kids who, uh, I guess like she goes upstream you know, and oh, yeah. I feel like so much of that happens in California where y'all are going upstream and that's what I'm here for. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So I know her. She get she, out of here. Um, you, have, you, has she been on your show? No. Can you please connect me? Because it's uh, one of my dream guests. So, <laughs> so she, she's, um, so I used to work at a company called Genentech mm-hmm. and she did a partnership with Genentech for basically for ACEs. Um, so she came oh. and spoke at the company. I've met her don't know her well, but, you know, I have a son who's came through the Froster program and he, um, I learned about ACEs because mm-hmm. when we, when he came into our home early on, you know, um, we got him in about five months and he was the first year, year and a half, he was, you know, he was, he was struggling and that primary care physician was kind of like, maybe it's this and maybe it's this. And I was like, wait a minute. And so I started to do some research and actually tried, she has a clinic in, in Bayview, Hunter Point for, for kids. Um, and we were considering bringing him to that clinic just so that he could get an A score. So I, you know, I love her work. I actually have her book on my nightstand. Um, she's that. amazing. And now she's our surgeon general, right? So it's just, uh, just incredible. Yeah. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory, two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And now we're back with a whole new podcast about unsticking it, launching in January. What happens when life gets in the way of our creativity instead of nourishing it? We talk to all sorts of guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky, wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. So join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Get out of there, life gunk. Let us help you get back to your best creative self. Look for Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Wherever you listen to podcasts starting in January, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking it. Feel like you're the martyr in your family? You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a No Guilt Mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model so that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt-free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Get Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows. Yeah, it's nice to have, uh, I feel like a culture of folks who are working toward that goal of inclusivity and uh, 
yeah, I, I hope that we can model that across the board in other states as well. That's rad. When you are like initiating the conversations of connecting and collaborating and contacting schools, you know, a lot of our folks are in early childhood here as well. So looking yes. at that childcare and, and preschool range through that um, elementary ed for sure. But a lot of folks here are early childhood when you're initiating that conversation, what are some like hot tips for folks who are like, oh, I want to bring a culture of inclusivity into my child's classroom? I think what I hope is that this doesn't always fall on queer parents or on black parents or to say like, I have to carry the burden of inclusivity, but instead that white folks and hetero couples can say, I want my kid to be exposed to this. I want them to understand differences and not as othered. And so if folks are walking into this, what are some like key tips for just like even initiating that conversation? I mean, I think one of the things, you know, um, you know, when you're touring schools, sometimes, you know, like our son went into about two years ago, went into, um, he had been at at a at home daycare and then was going into more of a formal sort of preschool, you know, and we um, went around to a few that were in the neighborhood. And so I came up with a series of, you know, sort of questions. And so one of the things is, do you have a equity policy, Mm. like really high level, or what is your equity policy at your school or at your daycare? And, um, you know, depending on the size of the, the daycare, or the school, if you're, if you're part of going, if your kid's going to a bright horizons, they're thinking about these things. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And if they're in a smaller daycare, they're probably under resourced and not thinking about them, but they're open to it. So that's where I really start is like, then I'll ask questions around, like, do you have a, you know, an equity inclusive curriculum? Mm. Right. Like, and then, then if they're kind of like scratching their heads, I talk about like, non what's your non-discrimination policy? What's your, you know, and depending on like, is there inclusivity in your forms and policies for, for, for non-binary, for LGBTQ, for others? And then really like who's responsible for teaching and educating your teachers and administrators about racial equity issues, LGBT equity issues, and like, what are you thinking and doing about it? So I, I'll start with those questions and you know, some of them will be turning around and going, oh my God, what is this guy doing, right? They're like, like I lost you with so many terms. Yeah, <laughs> totally. I mean, it, it's... It's, I mean, we, we have to advocate for change. Totally. Like it's, we're, you know, we, and there's a lot of people that want to make the world a better place. So yeah, these are the things we can do. Yeah. I think those are rad questions. We, we have a seed certification program through seed and it, it's been really cool to see teachers so that it's like eight workshops from different experts in early childhood and to see teachers like going through it, then they have to do an assessment after each workshop and it's a reflective practice assessment. So the questions you would have to have watched the workshop to be able to answer the question, but it's yeah. not like multiple choice. Like you need to write some things for us. And it's yeah. been really fun to, we have one on self-awareness and bias, um, one on connecting with families that's really focused on diversity 
yeah. and one on uh, anti-race, anti-bias curriculum for anti-racist classrooms. And reading the responses from teachers from the, for those has been awesome because you're right. So many, and these schools are across the U.S. Like it's it's a virtual program, and so we as we're like pulling them in, it's folks in all different pockets, you have schools yeah. in Alabama, you have schools in Colorado, et cetera. And yeah. it's been so cool to read the responses of folks that you're right are like open to this. And they're just like, man, this challenge, just what I've been doing, I've been running on autopilot. I haven't thought yeah. of this yeah. or we have an all white school. And I hadn't thought about ways that I can be doing this work with my all white yeah. children. Right. That yeah. I think yeah. so often when we're looking at inclusivity, it is being initiated by folks who already feel othered or feel marginalized. And I'm really hoping we can move in a direction where we can say like, there doesn't have to be a black kid at this school for us to be teaching (laughs) anti-racism. In fact, there shouldn't have to be, right? (laughs) um, And uh, so that I think that's really helpful for folks to be able to be asking and to be challenging and to be questioning, especially if you find yourself in like, a rural place that maybe is like white and Christian and hetero largely or whatever, that we are still asking these questions and challenging these systems in those spaces too. Yeah. And I would just say like, you know, for me, I, I I do diversity, equity, inclusion, consulting, as well as leadership coaching. And one of my sort of my leadership coaching focus areas is on underrepresented communities and then leaders who are working at creating more inclusive cultures. So I'm, I'm a little bit ahead of the curve, but there are just, you don't have to be super knowledgeable. There are just some open-ended questions and then you can sort of see the response. The other thing that um, in environments that are a little bit less welcoming, you know, there's a bunch of different avenues you can take. First of all, you start with your teacher, you go to the principal, you go to the superintendent. And then if that doesn't work, these are public meetings. You go to the board of education, you raise your darn hand when they say, is there any comment from the floor? And you start to ask, what is your policies? What are you doing? And I'll tell you in this day and age, after George Floyd's murder last year, people are turning their heads and they are going to do the work to find the answers. And so those are some things. And then if you get further pushback, Go to your board of education for the state or go to a a human rights commission for the county, wherever you're at, you can join the PTA, you can start to build allyship, right? Like some of this is about creating allyship. So you can step in and be the advocate and the leader in this, but you can also, because you'll find other people in the community that agree with you that are like, we need to work on this. And then you just start to build allies across to start to make that change. Once there's a big, big enough voice, right? Yeah. It's taken more seriously. Totally. I love that. And I think you're absolutely right that like now it's being paid attention to in a way that it was brushed under the rug before and easily brushed under the rug. Right. Like, and it's about, it's about time that we're paying attention. Rad, rad. Do you, have anything resources that you would point folks to outside of this books that are whether it's um i'm thinking not necessarily kids books although you can toss some of those out there but books or tools or resources websites things organizations that folks might find helpful in navigating this yeah so specifically for lgbtq families there's a national organization called the family equality 
um, and they do work across the entire United States. They also have a policy arm that's based in Washington, D.C., that works on um, policies uh, and working towards uh, creating uh, equality for LGBTQ families. They're focused on legislation around surrogacy rights, depending on the, the state, as well as they're working on, um, you know, obviously uh, adoption rights, right? And so, um, you know, LGBTQ people uh, adopt at like seven to one, the ratio to heterosexual families. So. LGBTQ people are bringing a lot of children out of the foster system into their homes. And so there's work by family equality um, relative to that. And they work on education as well. In California, we have an organization. I used to sit on the board for it. It's called uh, Our Family Coalition. And they're focused on, and there's a ton of resources on Our Family Coalition's website specific to uh, LGBT inclusive education, as well as Family Equality Council. HRC also has a program called Welcoming Schools, the Human Rights Campaign, which is a national LGBTQ organization um, focused on all human rights for LGBTQ people, but they also have a Welcoming Schools program um, that folks can tap into. And then as far as racial equity, uh, I would check out the Center for Racial Justice and Education. The NAACP does a lot of work as well. And then I would suggest folks look into their local communities um, and check to see, you know, who's the leading organization in that community where they can find resources relative to um, racial equity, racial justice in the schools. Sweet. Thank you for those resources. We will link everything in the transcript. So if folks are on the go, you can't jot that down. You can always go to voicesofyourvillage.com and check the transcript. Um, Steve, what do you want to leave our folks with today? What do I want to leave them with? Well, I love your, um, oh my God, I love your daily posts on Instagram. <laughs> Thanks. So if you're not following on Instagram, <laughs> follow on Instagram because, you know, as parents, we are doing a lot of things. And while we have best intention, we often don't do as well as we can. And those daily reminders are so helpful. Yesterday, um, I post one that I knew it's uh, every single time it's triggering for folks. And I um, sent it my like right hand woman, Rachel at work. I sent her like a gif of this person like peeking from behind a log. I was like, I just posted something that I know is going to be triggering and I want to look at comments and I don't want to look at comments at the same time. Yeah. yeah we, uh, we get down and dirty over on Instagram. It's, it's really good stuff. So, um, so Thanks. I'm putting in a plug for yourself over here, <laughs> Thanks. but it's great. So, I mean, I, I think the plug for, you know, I, I wrote a book, uh, it's titled determined to be dad. It's a memoir. It's about, my journey of coming out and um, and then becoming a parent through the adoption process. And, you know, just really um, sort of focuses in on the internal barriers that I faced growing up in a very heteronormative environment. And then the challenges that I faced trying to create my family, right? So for, you know, for LGBTQ folks out there, it's also really intersects with heterosexual folks that are really struggling with fertility issues and sort of starting to think about, are there different avenues for me to, you know, create a family? I think that was, uh, that's a, a important part of the book that I talk about is that intersection, like, um, and then also for, for um, you know, parents that are starting to, you know, experience their children as being 
uh, LGBTQ for the parents. Sometimes there's loss in that identity of, you know, having a child that they think is um, heterosexual. And so the book will help folks in that journey of like, you know, I talk about my parents' journey, right? Like around how they struggled with it in the beginning and then became, you know, obviously loving and, and, and wonderful about it. So, so that would be the plug that I would have. I'm also, um, I do um, coaching for LGBTQ people, looking at creating families and sort of helping them kind of go through the questions around like, what, what are their values? What, what's important about family to them? And then sort of helping them through the process. Um, Where can folks access the coaching? Yeah. So, um, my website is stevedisselhorse.com and it's under my services section. So cool. I, I, it's, my last name is, it'll be on the, it'll be yeah. on the post there. Um, we'll but it. It, there's not many of me, so <laughs> <laughs> uh, you we'll can find it. it. So it's stevedisselhorse.com. And then I'm obviously on all the social media platforms as well. Same, same name, same name. It's straightforward. Rad. We'll link all that jazz. One thing that I'm hoping to see a shift in that is like one of my pet peeves is the assumption of heterosexuality until proven otherwise, Yeah, you know, that like it starts a so young <laughs> and that like you, even the idea that like you have to come out, I have a lot yes. of thoughts and feelings about this, yes. you know, that like there's this uh, assumption that my child is straight until they come out to me or share otherwise. and. I would challenge parents on that. Yeah. I mean, this is such a, um, it's such a important like topic, right? Like I hear you, my son, like I could see when he went into this, this more formalized preschool, sort of a shift in his, you know, a shift away from being more like connected and physical and, um, and it was like, you could just see him starting to be in these with a lot of boys and like this, sort of switching and, you know, moving into this more competitive. And, um, uh-huh. and so it's really, you know, sort of fascinating, like how early that happens. I was really shocked. And um, so, yeah, gender identity, right? Like that starts at an early age and then, um, and then, you know, sexual orientation. Right. And so, um, yeah, I, I think that would be uh would be a, a utopia right <laughs> totally there was, not, there was not a need to you know sort of uh, come out it just you just are you just are yeah totally i and if folks want to dive more into gender identity we i interviewed tristan reese forever ago it's episode 13 one of my very first ones on the podcast we dove into gender identity if people want to dive into that yeah, I know him. He's he's his, wonderful. This story's amazing. He yeah, he's he's got a book coming out this year, I think. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah he's been knee deep in writing. Yeah, <laughs> uh, for sure. Yeah, rad, awesome, Steve. Thanks cool. so much for hanging out with me. This is awesome, and I hope folks can pull some of these tools to bring into their kids' school, their kids' childcare, etc. Great. Yep. Feel free to reach out if you have questions. Thank you. Thanks Thank for you. having me. Thanks for tuning in to Voices of Your Village. Check out the transcript at voicesofyourvillage.com. Did you know that we have a special community over on Instagram hanging out every day with more free content? Come join us at seed.and.so. Take a screenshot of you tuning in, share it on the gram, and tag seed.and.so to let me know your key takeaway. 
If you're digging this podcast, make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We love collaborating with you to raise emotionally intelligent humans. Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? Play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Co, and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts.